Good morning. It's good to be here with you all again. I missed you last weekend, so it's nice to be able to be back together again. And um, I think maybe I mentioned it already to most of you, but I do really appreciate the prayers that you've offered up for my wife and the little one and for our family here. But it is good to be back together again. So have here Second uh, Chronicles chapter 31. Let's read here from Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession and to their own cities. And Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests and the Levites after their courses, every man according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and for peace offerings, to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the tents of the Lord. He appointed also the king's portion of his substance for the burnt offerings to wit, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and for the new moons and for the set feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of the corn, wine and oil and honey, and of all the increase of the field and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated unto the Lord their God, and laid them by heaps. In the third month they began to lay the foundation of the heaps, and finished them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned with the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps, and Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have, plenty, and have left plenty. For the Lord hath blessed his people, and that, and that which is left is this great store. Then Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them, and brought in the offerings and the tithes and the dedicated things faithfully, over which Conaniah the Levite was ruler, and Shimei his brother was the next. Let me begin reading there. Open to Acts chapter 2. And we'll start reading here at verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, 
and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch. That is called Solomon's greatly wondering. We'll maybe end reading there for now. Now when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out into the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim, also in Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession and to their own cities. Part of, part of a, any uh, revival or a working of God is that the things that have been made wrong begin to be made right. And what we see here is that the children of Israel, because they're mingling with the nations that were around them, and because they had turned away from God, and because they no longer followed in his commandments and in his teachings, and what he had wanted for them, they had taken gods into their own uh, and into their own homes. And, and of course, that's not what God had wanted. And so in order to become right with God, they had to come in and begin to make right what had been made wrong. And so there was this cutting down and this breaking in pieces and this reestablishing of godly order back within the homes of the children of Israel, back within the, 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 the nation of Israel again. That there had to be this purging and this cleansing. And when we go to the, the New Testament here, there's a lot that could be said here from this chapter. Um, we could draw all kinds of lessons from this. And I'd encourage us to look at this as far as uh, the tithing kind of stood out to me, um, that they were gathering. But they had a common vision even in that, and what they were coming forth and bringing forth all of these goods for. And it was to reestablish and uh, build up again what, what had been neglected and what had been destroyed. Going here to Acts chapter 2, 
my mind is going a lot of different places. And I'm not exactly sure totally where to start, so we'll see where this all where this all goes. But let's just start here where we where we started. If we just give a little backdrop to this, we already know it. But it, it, sometimes it's easy to step out of the context of everything that had been happening and occurring up to this point in time. And I think that sometimes the context actually provides a, a, a little bit, it helps with the narrative of the, of the story. It gives a, us a little bit um, better grasp of what's happening here. But these people that are gathered here on, uh, at Pentecost, uh, everything that had been going on, we, we, in my mind, I can kind of tend to think that these people were gathered here almost oblivious to the fact that Jesus Christ uh, however many days earlier, was it 40 days earlier, had been crucified, and it was kind of almost like a forgotten moment already. Like, and they were ha gathered here now, and I don't think that was the case at all. I don't think that these men were gathered here out of basically all the nations, I think is what it says there earlier in this chapter. Um, yeah, from all the nations. There were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, uh, dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. So all around, these people were coming, and 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 when we just think about everything that had been going on here in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and how though they didn't have the communication means that we have today, undoubtedly through the what was taking place there with buying and, and selling and trading, people coming in and out, caravans coming in and out. Word had probably no doubt, even at this time, began to spread through these parts of the world. So they're gathered here now, and here you have a short history of 30-some years, and in the last 30-some years, they had experienced the preaching of John the Baptist, who had, draw, had drawn out a huge crowd of people. This was not something that they were just sitting there wondering what's going on out there all of Judea was in a stir about this, of what is happening out in Jordan, what is happening out at this river. And they go out to meet him, and the Pharisees go out to meet him, and the people go out to meet him, and what is he doing out there? He's preparing them for the coming, the Christ, the King. He's, he's preparing the nation for this coming Messiah. And they're going out there, and what is he doing? He's, he's telling them to repent and be baptized. Get yourself right for this king that is coming. Get yourself right for what is about to come upon this place. And get ready because he's, he's going to be coming. And, and when we think about that, and then we think about the, the, even going back even 30, 34 years or whatever in the conception of John, and how news was spreading around, this strange event had happened there at the temple, and his father, Zacharias, couldn't, he couldn't even talk for how long because he had seen this vision. And, and now suddenly this, this young baby's born, and they call him Zacharias after his father, and they say, no, 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 he's going to be called John. And they marvel, and they said, well, why John? There's no one in your family called John. Why would you name him John? And his mother says, we're going to call him John. They go to him, and he hadn't been able to even talk yet. And he writes down, his name is John. 
and they all marveled at this. Like there was something happening, and, and there were rumors being spread around that, did you hear that this angel had come to this little girl, this Mary, and had told her that she's going to have a child that's, that's been conceived by the Holy Ghost? And, and there's all of this, this excitement building up at the, at the prospect of this coming Messiah, of this, this king that they had for so long anticipated, and they knew the scriptures far better than you and I do, and they knew all of the prophecies, and they knew everything that was leading up to this, and, and they could see the dots starting to come together. And here was Elias out in the wilderness preaching, John the Baptist preaching, you know, prepare you the way of the Lord. And he was, he was taking down the mountains, and he was raising up the valleys, and he was preparing the way of the Lord. And all of this excitement was going on. And then, and then there was the story that was circulated around that there was these shepherds that were out and that night and that the, the angels came and they, they told them that there was this, the birth of the Messiah that was in Bethlehem of Judea. If you go there, you'll see him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they did that, and there he was. And, and no doubt this story was being circulated all around. And now he was the cousin of John, and these stories were all starting to come together. Like, this is an amazing, what is actually really happening here? What is actually really taking place? And then the wise men come, and they come to Herod, and they say, where is, where is the king of, how does it say, where is the king of the Jews, or uh, we've seen his star? And these, these accounts are starting to circulate, and these accounts are starting to be spread around. And, and all of these dots are starting to come together, and people are being drawn. And, 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 and then here's Jesus 12 years later now, and he's at the temple, and he has wisdom that's beyond his years. And the Pharisees are there, and they're, what kind of child is this? And there's John the Baptist, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's clothed in camel skins, and he's eating locusts and honey. And people are, and, and this was an incredibly exciting time for the, the, the Jewish nation at this point in time. And as time goes on, it's, it's been on our hearts here a lot lately, but I think about it. But the message starts to circulate that this Christ is actually the king. And that he's starting to speak this gospel. He's starting to give a message about this kingdom that is at hand. And, and they're observing this man and they're saying, but this, is, this, this man, he is the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son, they say. And, and they're having a hard time putting that all together because they see this man that is clothed in flesh and blood just like what you and I are. And, and he's coming and he's beginning to tell them that the, the whole purpose here of his coming, of his kingdom, is to actually uh, make right what man had made so terribly wrong. We look back here in Hezekiah, at the, at the revival here in Hezekiah, and the children of Israel had just a propensity towards just totally ruining things. And it wasn't just the children of Israel, it was the entire world. 
that they just had a bent towards corruption and towards ruining everything that was good and making a mess out of everything that could have been possibly good. They just made a mess of it. And there was these times throughout their history where they had to go and they had to just, they had to start cutting things down and breaking things and purging their house and, and having a cleansing and a burning and a build bonfires and, and just start cleansing the land of these things. And they had to go out and they had to kill the prophets of Baal and, and they had to start putting right again the things that they had made so wrong. And now here is Christ, and he comes into a, a time, and, and he's clothed in flesh and blood. And, and I hope you can bear with my thought process here. Um, but he's walking among them in flesh and blood, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, without measure, the Spirit is given to him. But he is in flesh and blood. Okay, and he's living perfectly. He's showing everything he's doing, every, every, every situation he's finding himself in, whether it's a leprous man, or whether it's a blind man, or whether it's a dead man. He's looking into that situation, he's saying, this isn't how it was supposed to be. This wasn't part of my Heavenly Father's original intention and His original plan. This isn't what I designed. And so when He came into contact with the leprous man, He was able to reach out and touch him. And what did He do? He made him whole. He fixed that problem. And He made it right. And He made him whole. And He's in the flesh while He's doing this. And all the while, he's walking in such a way where he's, everything he's doing is pleasing the Father. And so being in the flesh, he's looking, and here is, here is a, here's a dead man. And he says, I'm not come to do my will. I'm come to do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And so he could look at that dead man... And he could be in the flesh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he could look at that dead man and he could have the faith knowing that I am here to make this right. And he could say to him, rise up. And there was this incredible miracle that was performed. But he was in the flesh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if we understand the implications of that. When we start talking about... When we start talking about the possibility of overcoming all sin, when we start talking about the possibility of us as believers being able to actually live holy lives, where we can overcome sin, where we can overcome the devil, if there had never been a man before that had done it, then I don't think any one of us here could believe it. But because there's been someone who has done it in the flesh, as man, and again, I don't think we can leave out, filled with the Holy Spirit, that he was able to live in such a way that was perfect. And that because there's been a man in the flesh who has done it, then the implications of that are huge for us today. 
Because if there's been a man who has done it, if there's been a man who has lived a life that has been free from sin, if there's been a man who has actually lived in such a way that has pleased the Heavenly Father, then the implications of that, that, that means that so can we then. If we have the Holy Spirit. Christ had the Holy Spirit. He was God. We don't want to take away the fact that he was God. He was the second person of that tree. I'm not in any way taking away from his divinity. But he chose to clothe that divinity in flesh. He chose to come and be born of a virgin. In a man, he was laid down in a manger and flesh and blood exposed to all the, the, the extremities of life that our flesh can be exposed to. And even though he thought it was not robber to be equal with God, he made himself of no reputation but took on the form of a servant. And he walked among men experiencing everything that you and I experience. And he overcame sin in the flesh, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so now here we see them. And then... These men are walking with him for three, three years, observing how everything he was doing was good and making things right, bringing it back to its original intention. Like they were fixing everything that man had made wrong, he was fixing it. And every teaching he was giving to them was telling them, you have thought this way. That's the wrong way of thinking about this. This is how you're supposed to be thinking about it. On all of those teachings that he was given, we could look at all. The whole purpose was not to teach them a new way. He was teaching them the right way. He was fixing the corrupt way of thinking of man. And these apostles were walking with them. And he was, they were observing this humanity that was being fixed. And that it was being made right. And they weren't just tearing down idols like in the time of Hezekiah. They weren't just cleansing houses. They were getting into the very hearts of men. So that the very hearts of men were being made right and being fixed. So that they could actually now start living a life like they saw in this rabbi, this teacher, this man clothed in the flesh, yet filled with the Holy Spirit who was living perfect before God. And here they are now. And they said, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I think sometimes we don't understand the, the power of that gift. In our flesh, we know that there is nothing that we can do to please Him. In our flesh, we know where that has led us to. But when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that God has taken us who have been fallen, who have been corrupted, who were sin defiled, our minds were polluted, our actions were corrupt and carnal, we lived only for ourselves, we only thought about ourselves and what was in it for us. And Jesus Christ came and he fixed us. And he made us right. And he gives us his Holy Spirit that empowers us then to live the same way that he did. 
and that we would live in such of that way that pleases the Father. And so we are without excuse then. The only reason, it, it, it makes this, the, it takes sin then and makes it exceedingly sinful. Because we can't blame Eve anymore. We can't blame Adam anymore for our sin. We can't say that, well, I'm just human. Because there's been a man who has shown us a better way to live. And he's even given us his Holy Spirit so that we can do it. And so that now if we find ourselves living in sin or in selfishness, or we find ourselves still part of that creation that's not fixed, that's still broken, that's still pushed down under the weight of sin, we have no one to blame but our own self. We will come before the throne of God, and we won't have Adam to blame. Say, well, I was born that way. I was born into sin. The fact is that there's been a man who has shown us how to live, and, he's, and he did it through the Holy Spirit, and he's given us that same spirit. And so if we come before the Almighty God not fixed, if we're still broken and we're not fixed, then it's going to be our own fault. It's going to be our own problem. It's going to be because we chose to live that way. We chose to do it how we want to do it. We chose to stay in that way of brokenness instead of being fixed. Okay, so that's why I kind of like taking the afternoon is because sometimes I get a little long. I don't want to hold us up for lunch. But... Uh, but there's something here there as we go on, and, and I won't necessarily reread it. But what starts to happen here? We see a new humanity beginning to emerge out of this giving of the Holy Spirit. We see a new humanity that begins to come forth, and this new nation actually now rising out. Maybe one of you brothers can tell me. But there's 3,000 here that, that first start believing. And you think of the emergence of this nation. And now here they are. And, um, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Okay. Now I'm going to take that verse there. And, and, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I think Birch asked a couple weeks ago, or he mentioned in his message, he wonders why is it that we don't see maybe some of these signs and wonders and miracles done today in our day and time. And I don't know that I necessarily have completely the answer on that, but I'm going to share a couple thoughts that you brothers can disagree with me on even. But if Jesus Christ was truly 100% man, 
And I believe that he was. I believe he was 100% man. I also believe that he was 100% God. But, but for the sake of this right now, Jesus Christ, 100% man, he knew what his calling was here. He knew that he was come to fix what man had broken. And he knew he was only here to do the will of his Father. And so he saw everything around him. I'm going to suggest that he saw everything around him very different than what you and I see today. I'm going to suggest that you and I today, we look at illness. We look at broken relationships. We look at corrupt governments and tyranny and dictatorships. And we look at death and maybe said disease. We look at famine and starvation, oppression. We look at men accumulating vast amounts of wealth while others are starving as just part of life. But when Jesus Christ came down here upon the earth, he saw it very, very different. He saw it as broken. He saw it as corrupt. He saw it as fallen. He saw that this was the consequences of sin. And he could look at the religious institutions, and it's why he could walk into the temple and he could drive them out of it, because this was never what God had intended for religion to become. It's why he could move in the hearts of his prophets back there in Hezekiah and get rid of these idols. It's not what God had intended. But I'm suggesting that for you and I, we go about and we've just been kind of calloused over. We've just been kind of rubbed over and rubbed over. And we've just kind of been gritted down and, and scuffed up until the point where we just got these, we walk around as one giant callous and our heart is just kind of calloused over layer after layer after layer. And we see the homeless and we see the sick and we see the dying and we see the oppression and we see the tyranny and we see the dictatorship and we see the death that's all around us. And we say, well, that's just life. But that's not how Christ saw it. Christ came and he said, this is broken and I'm here to fix it. And these apostles here then, and he came to fix it in the flesh. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Anointed by God. And again, just as we could say, you know, no one's ever done it before. But someone has done it before. And we might just as well say, and we can wonder with Birch, and I'm right there with him. We wonder, why aren't there miracles? Why aren't there signs? Why, aren't there, why isn't there this healing that goes out? But I think Peter and John, when they went up here and they saw this lame man from his mother's womb, they began to see things through the eyes of Christ. And in those three years, they had taken on somewhat of the mind of Christ. And they began to see things different than what they had before. Instead of just seeing a lame man and saying, well, too bad for him, here's a coin. They saw this lame man here, and they didn't have excuse anymore for not doing something. They had to do something. Because Christ in the flesh had done something. And the only thing they needed to do was what Jesus had done. 
And because Jesus was doing the will of his Father, he had, a, he had faith, and that's what faith was. Was that they, he knew he was here doing God's will, and so he knew he had all the power of heaven backing him. Because he wasn't here to do his own will. He was here to make right what God had commissioned him to do. God said, you are here, I'm sending you to go make it right. And he never doubted in that power. He could look at the dead man and say, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Up. And he knew he had all the power of heaven coming behind him to raise him up. And, and the implications of that for us. Why don't we see it? We don't look at things the way Jesus saw it. And we don't have his faith. We don't see the world the way that Jesus saw the world. We don't see people the way that Jesus saw people. And we don't understand what our calling really truly is. We are called here to do something. This kingdom isn't some nice, mystical, theological teaching that we can put on the coffee table and look at it and discuss it and make ourselves feel warm and fuzzy about it. God is looking at us and saying, I want you to go and do something. And I don't want you to get bogged down with your own will. As soon as we step into that, we step out of Christ's likeness. That's not what he came to do. And so I, I'm suggesting that Peter and John, they could go up to that temple and they could look at this lame man and they could have the mind of Christ and they understood what their calling was. We are here to fix this. This isn't what it was supposed to be. And they saw the power of God manifested in Christ and they had faith to believe that we're walking in his steps. He's going to do the same thing for us. And they said, up and walk. And he up and walked. And to the degree, brothers, that we have the mind of Christ, and to the degree that we're truly committed to this kingdom, to advance it, to make things right in this world, what the world has made wrong, and to share with the world that there is a king, and he has commandments, and you don't have to stay in this mess anymore. You don't have to stay in all of these, the defilements and the brokenness of a sin-filled world. You can come out of this and you can be part of the kingdom of God. The degree that we begin to understand our calling, God will pour his spirit out upon us. And because there's a man that has done it in the flesh, we don't have excuse. Whether that's to live an overcoming life, or whether that's to demonstrate the power of God to a fallen and a corrupt world. And I feel convicted by that as I read that here this morning. And it's going to take us stepping it up. It's going to take us laying down more probably than what we ever dreamed we'd have to do if we're going to walk in this kind of New Testament pattern that we say we want to walk after, that we say we want to demonstrate to the world. I don't want to call myself apostolic, apostle-like, without this kind of overcoming power upon my life. I'm just a hypocrite if I do that. I'm just a false professor if I do that. I want to be apostolic in the truest sense of the word. And may God help us to do that.